Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Sierra Community Church. Glad that you're spending this Sunday morning with us. I, I don't know about you, but I, gosh, it's almost cliche, you know, just to, to fall into that. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas season thing, but I believe it. I love the holidays, right when we hit Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas. My radio station is on the Christmas station the whole time. Who else? Anybody else? Okay, the rest of you are Scrooges. I know, my family's like, really? More Christmas music, Dad? I love it. I just, I love the entire season. I love December. I love the snow. I love putting up lights in the whole Christmas season. I love that it is the one month out of the year that you get to talk about Jesus, and people are receptive to hearing it, you know, call it the Christmas spirit, call it whatever you want. It just is, there's this nostalgic view of December where we get to really look forward and, and decorate things and celebrate the birth of Christ. So, Christmas is two weeks away. You guys ready? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I hope today's message um, helps to prepare you for not just Christmas morning, but every day leading up to Christmas morning and every day after that. And I hope that as we, we talk about this idea of peace and what it means to have the Prince of Peace as our Savior, that it would, it would take away the stress and busyness of this holiday season and it would allow you to focus on really what's most important, and that is what God is doing and restoring his creation. So, we are going to look at the first seven verses of the ninth chapter of Isaiah. So, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. I do not have it in your notes because it was too much to put in there. It seems to be happening every week, but I will have it on the screen so you can follow along as well. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. They will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Father, what a gift it is to spend time together today hearing your word, hearing your promises, knowing that we can look back 2,700 years and see the fulfillment of 
what you gave Isaiah, and then we can look back 2,000 years and see again another promise fulfilled. Father, you are trustworthy, which means the promises that are yet to come true, we can trust as well. So, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in our time together this morning, and I pray that your Spirit would guide us in responding to you in worship for who you are, what you do, what you've done, and what you will do. Lord, we thank you for the gift of mercy and grace. Those gifts are new every day, and we thank you for the forgiveness that we find in your Son, Jesus. It is in His name that we pray. Amen. So, like I said in the beginning, this is the second Sunday of our Advent season. Advent, the word Advent uh, literally means the arrival or the coming. It, it, it is the anticipation of God's promise coming true in the arrival of the Messiah. And so, for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, there's a, a different aspect that we focus on. There's hope and peace and joy and love. And this week is peace, one of the reasons that we're talking about the Prince of Peace that we have here in Isaiah. It's one of the reasons that we've lit the candles. There's five candles there, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and then the fifth candle gets lit Christmas Day, which is a Monday this year, so none of you will be here. That's okay, somebody will light it. But it is really about this season of anticipation. That's what the Advent season is about. And, and there's a lot of that in the prophecy of Isaiah today. It's what we're going to talk, talk about. Now, sometimes before I preach, Dan will ask me a, a great question. He'll say, what's your takeaway? What's your main, you know, the one thing that you want people to walk away with on a Sunday morning? And it's a great question to ask because you, you really have to take a week's worth of study and focus it down to something that is, uh, you know, bite-sized enough that, that we can all walk out of here today with encouragement, with drawing closer to God. I, I can't spend this whole time just working through everything I've learned this week or we'd be here for for a week, which we're not going to do. We're busy. So, focusing on that one thing is really important. And oftentimes, that takeaway comes, you know, towards the end of the message where we've really worked through the nuance of the text and, and, and found really some application to take away. Last week, really, that application of we can trust God that He gave us Jesus because look at all these prophecies that line up to tell us what to look for, and there He is. But Isaiah chapter 9 is a little different. It really is a, a proclamation. It's a declaration. God's saying through the prophet, this is what's going to happen. And here are my promises. God is going to rescue his people from the darkness that they're experiencing in, in their life. And so if there's one takeaway from Isaiah's prophecy that I, I really hope that you guys walk away with today... It is this, embrace the anticipation. Embrace the anticipation of God's promises coming true. Live as though this very day another promise of God could come true. That's what we do with all of these decorations. That, that's what the, the tree is, the presence under the tree, everything that we're decorating, the lights on our houses. They're all about anticipating the day of Christmas. They're all about preparing for this day when we get to experience the gifts. And really that is to represent the gift that we have in Christ. 
you know, I, this is a unique month. It really is. It, it gives us an opportunity to share that joy and that excitement for God's promises with the entire world and with your neighbors or the people that you work with, because this is the season that we do that. You know, gosh, Isaiah's generation longed for a time where war was a thing of the past. Is that still true today? Yeah, it is. Isaiah longed for a righteous and just government. Is that still true today? Yeah, it, it, it is. So in some ways, we share a lot of what Isaiah's generation was looking at. Now, chapters 7 and 8 of Isaiah really predict a time that was coming to the people that was going to be dark. This is uh, where Judah, the southern kingdom, and Israel, the northern kingdom, were under threat of attack from the Assyrians. And, and Dan went through all of that history last week, so I'm not going to dive into that too much, other than to say that discipline was coming on the people because of their disobedience to God. King Ahaz is a great example of that. He rejected the counsel of God, and because of that, God was going to discipline His people. Now, discipline, from God's perspective, is always about bringing something back that's gone astray. It's not punishment, like, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. It's, it's always about bringing something back that has wandered away, and that's what God is going to do to His people. I mean, you can just look at the contrast in the very first two verses of our text. Darkness will become light. Gloom will be something of the past, and glory will be the future. Verse 2 says that the nation, so this isn't just Israel, this is all of the people, including the Gentiles, the darkness that they're experiencing is going to be taken away by this great light. And Matthew connects this light that Isaiah is talking about to Jesus in his gospel in the fourth chapter. He says, leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and a land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Do you think Jesus knew what he was doing? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Thank you for the help. <laughs> Wake up, people. So, yes, he goes to Capernaum which is one of the areas he spent the majority of his time around the Sea of Galilee. The, by the way, the, Zebulun and Naphtali are two of the 12 tribes of Israel in the northern kingdom, and they're one of the first places that God's judgment, his discipline comes on. When the Assyrians come through, they wipe them out first. And so I don't think it's any accident that, that Jesus goes there and starts to restore, starts to bring back forgiveness and mercy and the new kingdom that he promised to his people. But, I mean, how in the world does Isaiah know this is going to happen 700 years before it does? Well, I think Peter gives us a good insight into the inspiration of the prophets. In his first letter, Peter says, The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah 
and the glories that would follow. You can see that in a, a lot of the prophets. Isaiah 53 is a great example of that. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. See, the Holy Spirit is directing the prophets to say and to speak exactly what God wants for them. And one of the amazing things about these prophecies is they're often multi-layered. There's something that is true for the people of that time. Isaiah's generation knew the Assyrians coming down and destroying the northern kingdom as he prophesied. But it will be 700 years until the second part of that prophecy would come true in the birth of the Messiah. And it still hasn't come true. The, the other part of that prophecy, the second coming of Christ and the kingdom. See, the government is not on his shoulders right now. Now, he, everything is under him, but he is not the one running a, a kingdom of peace. None of us need to, to be explained to that when we look around. See, prophecies can have multiple layers. I was having a, a great conversation with my friend Jerry in between these, and, and he gave me a great illustration of, of what this looks like. I don't know if you've ever driven through, a, you know, Nevada's a great example of, of this. You think Nevada is absolutely flat. Do you guys know that Nevada is the most mountainous state in our country? And if you've ever driven through Nevada, like out 50 going east, you go through these sections where you kind of come over a mountain range and then you just see this long flat and then another mountain range, right? And, it, and you know, I play this game with the kids because we drive out to Arizona on the missions trip and we're always like, okay, who can guess the time it takes us to get, you know, from here to there? And we would, and you'd go through that flat, you come up the mountains and when you came over the mountains, guess what you saw? Another flat and then another set of mountains. And I mean, it's like 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. It's crazy how, you know, how this is. But prophecy is kind of like that, where you're, you're in this mountain range of what's going on at your time and right then. And when you get over that, there's this long period. And then there's another part of that prophecy that's going to come true. That would be the birth of Christ. And then once you get over that mountain range, there's another period of waiting. And then the next mountain range which will be the second coming of Christ. And so this is a picture of a multi-layered prophecy coming from Isaiah. Now, verses 3 through 5 are really interesting because I think they paint a great picture of how God is going to accomplish His victory, which is so different than any of us would ever write or plan. I, you know, God, it's just, He just works in this way where you're, where you're like, why would, you, why would you do it that way? Nobody would ever write it that way. But He's always going to win his victory in a way that, that, that we don't understand. As he talks about this, this way in, in the story of, of Midian, and I, I, you know, we don't have a, just a you know, real good clarity of our Old Testament history today. Isaiah's people would know exactly what he was talking about. But if you don't know what in the days of Midian, that is really comes from Judges chapter 7. It's the story of Gideon. And he is facing this insurmountable army and God whittles Gideon's army down to 300 men. And then he sends them out. And we find this in, starting in, chapter, in verse 12, 
of the seventh chapter. It says, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. <laughs> you, if you're Midian, right, and you, if you read the story, you'll see this is what he does. He's like, really, God? This is what you want? Okay. And so he does. He trusts God, and he breaks his group up into three groups of a hundred. Pick this up in verse 19. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. So when you're going to battle against a sea of enemies, you better not forget your trumpet and your jar. That's what God told them to use. And Gideon is faithful. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So who won this battle? I, I feel like Gideon's kind of a, like an observer to what God is doing. He's like, I want you to play some music while I do this. We'll start with the trumpets and then break the pots and then shout out, right? This is God showing us, showing Gideon that it is by his power and his might that he accomplishes his will. There can be no other explanation. I mean, you, if you are honest with yourself, there, are, there have to be many times in your life where you stand back and you say, there's no way I'm responsible for that. That that is something God is doing in my life because I don't have the ability to orchestrate all those things and they came together perfectly. I, I mean, I, yes, I, I, could, I could give you a hundred examples. I won't. But God is always at work if you pay attention in your life in ways that you should not take credit for, <laughs> that you should give glory to God for because of what he's doing. And I'll tell you what, Looking at these stories, looking really at the prophecy that Isaiah has that, that points us to Christmas and beyond, it really got me thinking about how we celebrate Christmas today and, and all the things that we've, we've attached to it. What is it about Christmas that gets children so excited? Presents. That's what, is it just the presents? Are you sure it's not, does it have anything to do with the sugar that's going on? There's so much sugar in my house right now. It's like... Gosh, I can't, yeah, that's the one thing I can look forward to being over. Even if it is the presence at its root, you know what it really is? It's the anticipation. It's the anticipation of what is in that box. You know, I like to put presents under the tree early because there's this, oh, what is that? Who's that for, right? It's the rush. Whose name's on that one? That one's mine. Yeah, that one's mine. Yep. You know, like there's this excitement and there's this anticipation about what is in the box. 
All of this is about preparing for that Christmas morning and the anticipation of getting to rip through that wrapping paper like a bunch of hyenas on something. Kids tearing through that. You know, as adults, we get kind of, I, I, you know, I get it. We, we get, we're not as excited about the presents that are under the tree because we put most of them there and we know what's in the box. But, uh, you know, also I, I think that we realize, look, at the end of the day, it's just stuff. And, and we'll go through it and it'll wear out and we'll put new stuff under the tree and, and whatnot. But I, I, I really want to encourage and challenge you guys this Christmas to remind yourselves of the excitement that you see in those children should also be in us. Because it's not just Christmas morning that we get to celebrate the greatest gift that God has ever given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. But it is also the anticipation of, of recognizing the second half of Isaiah's prophecy has yet to come true. And that is a gift that we get to look forward to opening. For all we know, that could happen tomorrow. And we should be as excited as little children anticipating what is in the box because we can read the scriptures and we can see the description of the kingdom and the peace and the reign and everything that is good, but we will never know it completely until we experience it. And we should live every day in the joy of waiting and saying, come Lord Jesus, come so that we can experience that gift from God. See, that's what I don't want you to lose during this Christmas season because of all the glitter and things that go on around it. But the gifts that God still has for us to open. You know, my kids can tell me how many days there are until Christmas, the second we hit December. Dad, do you know there's 21 days till Christmas? Oh, Okay. Yes, what day is today? Oh, good job. Yes. Like, like that's, that's, there's an anticipation in my son for that day that the church needs to have for their Savior. See, that's the, the, when I say I love December, that's part of what I love about December. It's a reminder in me not to lose that childlike excitement for who God is for what he's done and what he's going to continue to do in our lives. See, that second part of Isaiah's prophecy, where the prince of peace will rule with justice and righteousness forever, is something that I long to see. Every day I age and I wake up and a new part of my body feels broken. And I don't know if it's because I did something the day before because I forgot whatever that was or just this is what it's like to get old. You just wake up and you're like, oh, that hurts. I guess that's old. I don't know. You know, it, it, I, Lord Jesus, <laughs> I'm ready. Please come. But I tell you what, we are living in an amazing time in history where we get to look back to these prophecies of Isaiah and Micah and the Psalms and, and get to see Jesus fulfilled in them, but also get to live in the anticipation of what's to come. You know, in one sense, we have the gift that Isaiah's generation longed to see in the arrival of the Messiah. That is an amazing thing that people waited thousands of years for, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And we have that gift and yet, just like Isaiah's generation, we still live with war, pain, 
suffering, and darkness. And prophecies like this should remind us it won't always be like that. No matter how dark it gets in our lives, God has promised to restore his creation, and he's in the process of doing that. So be patient and worship until that day comes. Jesus, who was uh, teaching a parable, reminded his followers of this. He said, so you too must keep watch. Why? For you do not know the day or the hour of my return, which as I said, for all we know, could be today, tomorrow. And we should be ready, looking forward to that day. Let's move on here. Verse 6. I love this line. For to us a child is born, and to us a son a given. This, that's an announcement, a birth announcement. Not necessarily how we announce birth, but this is also echoed in the angel's announcement of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, which we're going to look at on Christmas Eve. Isaiah really is illustrating two parts of the Messiah, the human and the divine. He is a child. He's vulnerable. He's born into a poor family, and, and yet he is a son that is given. He is divine. And then we have these four beautiful couplets, the descriptions of the divine Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Those are some names, aren't they? You have that like on your on your back, if you're a, you know, football player? No, I don't think that would work. Wonderful counselor. I, I like to think of this title in, in reverse. He is the, the counselor who holds all wisdom in heaven and on earth. The scriptures speak of Solomon being the wisest man who ever lived. And where did Solomon get his wisdom from? God. He is the wonderful counselor, John chapter four, chapter seven, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. In Isaiah, in his 28th chapter, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. You know, our world is filled with information, overloaded with information. So much information, it's hard to even work through all of it, but we lack wisdom. One of the things that this story tells us is that wisdom will not be found in Amazon's self-help section. It won't. It will be found in the Messiah, Jesus. Everyone is looking for the right answers to find peace, the peace that, that Christ offers. The second description we have is mighty God. I mean, that, that is a title of divinity, he is the mighty God. John, John chapter 1, he, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And Colossians chapter 2, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He is God. Isaiah describes him as the everlasting father which is interesting to call the Son the Father until you see John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, 
Jesus, who's preparing his disciples before he's going to be arrested and crucified, and he tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That is the language of a parent. That's why Jesus and God the Father both refer to themselves in the I am tense. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. Both always existing, never created, all-powerful. Lastly, he is the Prince of Peace. Romans chapter 5 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that that word have is in the present tense. We have peace with God through Jesus. Something that we can have now. It's a promise for now. And if you'll notice, each one of these names, there's like a, a building secession where you have the, the wise counsel, the wisdom. Then you have the strength of the Almighty God. And yet you have the compassion, the caring of a father, the only one who knows how to bring about real peace. Isaiah would describe the peace of this kingdom where Jesus is the government and where this kingdom never ends. In the 11th chapter, he says this, the wolf will, lie, will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. That is a picture of total peace throughout all of creation. And it's not just about animals. Part of that picture that Isaiah is talking about, are, oftentimes animals are, are used to represent human nature and how we treat each other. So what you're getting there is opposites, people who, who normally take advantage of one another, feed off of certain groups of people, will experience peace with one another. For those of us who put our faith in Him, Christ offers us peace that only He can give now in this life and in the one to come. All the injustice, the poverty, the violence, all of that will be gone when Christ comes again and reigns over his eternal kingdom. And until then, what are we supposed to do? Worship, wait, be patient, and embrace the anticipation of that day coming, just like it was a present under the tree. Now, th this... This last week, I've been listening to, I, I, I really enjoy, I'm a music person, I love music, and I, I do believe music really is a language. It's a gift from God. If you study music, you'll, you'll understand there's, a, there's, a, there's almost limitless freedom within the boundary that God establishes with keys and time signatures and all these other things. But it is, when it is put together, in a way, it can move us to tears. Emotionally, we can connect to, to music. And I don't mean like manipulating your emotions through music. I mean just in appreciation of the beauty and art that our ears are able to appreciate. That is a, that is a gift from God. And so I, I've been listening to this two-and-a-half-hour orchestra symphony and I like all kinds of music. I'm not really an opera guy, but 
But this specific piece I've been listening to all week, and it just, I wanted to share it with you as well because it's very relevant to our text today. Uh, George Frederick Handel, and and I'm actually going to read some of a a history here that was put together by Chuck Colson's Breakpoint Ministries in 2000 that describes how he put together this symphony called Messiah. If you're familiar with it, you know it's a beautiful piece of work, but the story behind it is just as amazing. So, George Handel is a German composer living in London at the time when his, when his health began to fail, and at 56 years old was looking at bankruptcy. In 1741, he decided to write a new piece of music. It's actually commissioned by a company in Ireland to, to write this piece of music, and he chose to use the themes of Scripture as his inspiration, which was different than what a lot of people were doing at the time. It was then that something remarkable happened. He began composing with a superhuman zeal and energy. People thought he was mad or even under a spell. One servant reported that Handel seldom ate or slept and worked with such frenzy that his fingers could no longer grip his pen. He was, in fact, in the grip of divine inspiration. The result is one of the world's greatest masterworks, Messiah. Handel finished part one in only six days, finished part two in nine days, and part three in six days. The orchestration took him only a few days more. So, in other words, in all, two and a half hours of the world's most magnificent music was composed in less than 25 days. When he was finished, he sobbed, saying, I think that I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself. Immediately from its premiere in Dublin in 1742, Messiah was pronounced a masterpiece. Messiah recounts the prophecies of Christ and his triumphant birth, utilizing an amazing amount of Scripture, including passages like, For unto us a child is born. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. In fact, Messiah pulls from the Psalms, Job, Isaiah, Lamentations, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah, Matthew, Luke, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, and Revelation. Twenty-five days. At its London premiere, King George was so moved by the Hallelujah Chorus, that's the one most people are familiar with, that he spontaneously rose from his seat. The entire audience followed his example, and for the past 250 plus years, audiences have continued to do the same. It's what we call a standing ovation. So I wanted to share with you just a short clip from this passage, just to get a piece of beauty of what God gave Handel. Oh, 
I wanted to share that clip for a couple of reasons. One, because I think it is a, a, a beautiful gift, a piece of art that God gave Handel that we get to be blessed by hundreds of years later. And two, I think it's also a great example when you look at those kids, and I, I feel like God is the one orchestrating. And as much as, you know, as grown-ups, we like to think of ourselves as far more mature than kids, we're just better at hiding it than they are. You, you see the kids up there, and they're squirming, and some kids aren't paying attention, and some kids aren't singing. And, you know, so my favorite kid is the kid who's in the tuxedo. He's got the cummerbund and the bow tie, and he is serious, man. He's into it. And I feel like that's kind of a good picture of God and his people. We're all kind of off key. We're not really on the same time. We all have different jobs. We're trying to do it as best we can together. And what God really wants is that childlike heart of faith that, that trusts him above anything else in this world, that is most excited about the gifts that he gives us in life and life itself, the relationships we have. It won't be the presence under the tree. Those won't be the most exciting thing for me this year. This year and every year that God allows me, it will always be about the greatest gift that God has ever given me, and that is his son, Jesus. And because I know that he keeps his promises, I can live in anticipation of his next promise coming true. And I pray that you would have that excitement as well this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a gift it is to be together today, to share in the reading of your word, to be encouraged by the prophecies that date back 2,700 years, to encourage us, Father, to embrace the gift of Jesus and to look forward to the gifts that you still have for us to experience in your new earth and new heavens, the kingdom where there is no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain, no more war where you are the government and where the peace that only you can bring lasts forever. So, Father, I pray that this Christmas season that we would enjoy you and that we would share that joy with others. We'd be excited to share the gifts that you have given us in grace and mercy and forgiveness in your son, Jesus. It is in his name that we pray, Lord. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming, guys. We're going to continue our worship with our offering. So if we could have our ushers come forward now, we'll do that. Don't forget the Christmas dinner table in the back. And we get to close in worship, singing a song, proclaiming, just as Isaiah did, about the goodness of our God. Have a great week.